Welcome to Freed Up. This is the podcast that makes life feel lighter. I'm your host, Tina Robertson. And if you're wanting to live freed up and not fed up, stay connected right here. Pull up your seat. Join us in this place where faith and mental health meet. As always, I'm so grateful that you choose this podcast as a resource for the support of your spiritual and mental health growth and development. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, a mental health therapist, and a trainer. But most of all, y'all, I'm walking this road with you as we all seek to live freed up and not fed up. So I want to give a shout out to all of you who support this podcast. No matter where you come in on our podcasting life, you are a blessing to me and you are the reason why Freed Up is still doing its thing. Now, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. And I hope you find this as a useful resource to elevate your faith in your mental health. So stay a while, all of you. Today, we're talking to Dr. Rose about attachment theory and what that means for relationships. So let's get it started. Y'all know when I have a guest on, I get really super pumped because most of the time, these are folks that I have tried to get on for a long time. And so um, such is the case for our guest today, Dr. Rose. Um, And so I just wanted to let you all know how much she has meant to me in my life and how she's impacted me in my work clinically and also uh, has been really an important spiritual encourager. So I'm super excited to introduce her to you all, Freed Up family. Dr. Rose, thank you for finally getting up on here. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'm so glad to be here on today. It has been a long time in the making, but that just means that we were ready for such a time as this. Such a time as this, that is the appointed time. And that's what that's the, the best way to operate, right? right. So we got a lot to get to today. Three <laughs> Up has a, a theme each year. Last year, we had a theme of releasing. And so we feel like we've cleared some things out that God wanted us to move to really, to grow spiritually and to really build our mental health. This year, our theme was investing. So we're like, look, we made room and we are trying to pour into our relationships with God, with ourselves and with others. And so um, this topic today on attachment is part of understanding relationships. And so I knew you were the right person to have this conversation with. So before we get started, can you tell the listeners a little bit about you? Absolutely. So I am a licensed clinical psychologist. Um, when I went to school, it was because of my work as a caseworker for Child Protective Services. So in that role, I was attending to children and families who had gone through some type of trauma, you know, some type of abuse, some type of neglect. Mm -hmm. And overwhelmingly, the people who were in that system were people who look like me. And you all can't see me, but I am a blackity black woman. (laughs) And so, you know, it was really important to me to figure out what, what is my way? What, you know, Lord, what am I supposed to be doing in this space to help, you know, these children who look like me, who were in this system through no fault of their own, right? Um, How do they heal? How do they grow past this? And so, you know, that took me to graduate school. So I went to graduate school for clinical psychology. I wanted to focus on children and families. I also wanted to, you know, focus on the impact and the intersection of um, 
racial differences and trauma. So how does that show up differently and affect the trajectory differently for people of color? Um, and so over the last kind of 15 years or so, that's what I've been doing in some shape, form or fashion is working with children and families, people across the lifespan that have been impacted um, likely by trauma in some way to heal and, you know, kind of course correct so that they are not forever impacted or defined by, you know, something that has happened to them, something that they experience. Mm, yeah, such important work. And, you know, we covered trauma uh, last year on this podcast in a little bit of detail. And so I think the listeners have a reasonable lens into what that's like and, and how that can generationally impact us and create challenges for us relationally. So it ties into, you know, where we're going today with our, our topic and our conversation. Attachment. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, now, this is what I want to say to ground us a little bit before we get started. I'm, I'm having a little bit of a rub with some of the things that I see on TikTok and on IG. You know, a lot of the platforms we have, I always say our, our profession to some degree is, is being hijacked in a sense, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because we have a lot of folks who understand that mental health is being challenged, especially in these last couple of years. We have a, a lot more emerging conversations about it and how to support it. And sometimes there's stuff out there that's floating around that's been parroted or posted without having a real clinical background and some uh -huh. research for it. And so uh -huh. one of the things that I've wanted to see happen with Freed Up is that we are able to speak to some of those things and just bring clarity and actually help the listeners understand where they might be able to get valid information and really understand the, the research backed information behind these different theories and, and supportive strategies. Yeah. So, um, so that's why we bring experts on like you to mm -hmm. sit straight and to give us the good level set and the good grounding. So let's talk a little bit about attachment because I've seen things about it out there. Can you talk a little bit about what is attachment theory and why is this important for freed up friends to know about? Yes, yes. Okay. So very simply, attachment is an emotional bond with another person. So I'm going to say that again. Attachment is an emotional bond with another person. Okay. And so back in the day, so let's we think in like 30s, 40s, 50s, John Bowlby was kind of the father of this attachment theory. And he believed that the earliest bonds formed by children with their caregivers have tremendous impact that continues throughout the life. Mm -hmm. Why that's important and why I think that our, your listeners should know about this is that, you know, the central theme of attachment theory is primary caregivers who are available and responsive to children's needs allows that child to develop a sense of security, a sense of safety. Mm -hmm. They start to learn that their caregivers are dependable, which creates a secure base for the child then to explore the world. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so those are, I mean, it's, it seems kind of basic, I would say, kind of, you know, plain, but we know that that's not how we experience the world as basic and plain. There are things that complicate you know, attachment relationships. Um, mm -hmm. There are things that get in the way, factors that influence attachment. Um, so there always there aren't always the opportunities for attachment. So we think about the kiddos who do not have a primary caregiver. You know, mm -hmm. those that you know might be coming through the child protective system, like I kind of mentioned before. 
um, or who have lost, you know, family members. I think, you know, over the past two years, someone has lost somebody, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. in some shape, form, or fashion. And so when you do not have that opportunity for attachment because your primary caregiver isn't present, you may fail to develop a sense of trust needed to form an attachment. Yeah. Also, even for folks who have present caregivers, meaning they're not deceased, they're not out of the picture, um, that doesn't always mean that we're receiving quality caregiving. Mm-hmm. So when you know the caregivers uh, don't respond quickly and consistently to children, that can make them learn to think that the world can't be trusted, that people aren't dependable. And yeah. so that's really essential for that foundation. That's that vital factor for that foundation in a, an attachment relationship. Um, so you might have caregivers that are available, but they may not be consistent. They may not be responsive. Um, and, you know, when that happens, there's some 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 different outcomes that come from that. Yeah. No, that's so good and so thorough. And And you really spoke to what we think about in terms of attachment by way of a secure attachment and an insecure attachment. You alluded to that. And so um, talk a little bit more about that in particular, and then, you know, thinking about what are the attachment styles, because those styles kind of fall up under that insecure and secure attachment that we think about. Correct. Correct. So, you know, like I said, starting with John Bowlby, moving on to Mary Ainsworth, who did the strange situation. So people <laughs> might have some, some background knowledge in psychology. You know, this was a study that looked at attachment behavior um, and children between the ages of 12 to 18 months um, were looked at to see how they responded in a situation where they were briefly left alone and then reunited with their with their caregiver, in this instance, with their mothers. And so based on their responses, that's where we kind of get these attachment styles that we've come to know. So there's four big ones. Three that fall under, like you're saying, this kind of insecure heading, and then one that falls under a secure heading, and that's secure attachment. So let's let's start with the good news. <laughs> you know, let's <laughs> let's start with secure attachment and what what causes that and what that looks like. And so, children who learn that they can depend on their caregivers, they show distress when they're separated from their caregivers, and then joy when they're reunited. That's kind of the typical thing, right? Mom leaves. Oh, no, where's mom? Mom's back. Okay, great. I'm all right now. She's back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so even though they're upset momentarily, they feel assured that the caregiver will return. Um, And that's that's the basis, right? Mommy's going to always come back. Daddy's going to always come back. Big mama's going to always come back, whomever that caregiver person um, happens to be. And when they're frightened or distressed in some way, they're looking to seek comfort from these people who they have identified as their secure attachment person. And so as adults, what does this look like? Right. So now we've we've talked about in children and in infants when when they're looking for their needs to be met consistently and parents do that as adults, you develop into a person who is comfortable with themselves and expressing your emotions openly. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you're in relationships with other people, you can depend on people. You you learn to to say, okay, people can be trusted. They can be relied upon. Um, You also have that room for grace. People are people. (laughs) We we are of the flesh. And Mm -hmm. so they might fail you. And even though somebody might fail you or disappoint you, that doesn't spoil the lot. That doesn't make it where um, you come to believe that everybody is going to do that because okay, they're human. They had a human moment. You know, I'm not going to hold that against them. And I can still be available and open to relationships 
based on this secure attachment that I formed in childhood. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So good. Okay. All right. So, we, so talk these other, <laughs> we talk about these other three. <laughs> yeah, so we, we have, you know, other three that aren't as um, healthy, I guess, maybe is the, way, the word that I might use. Yeah. Um, you know, I definitely want to put out there that, you know, even though these aren't necessarily healthy, you know, what we deem healthy ways of, of attaching and being in relationship with people, they have a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Like they have developed out of need. They have developed as likely a protective mechanism and have served in that capacity. And so for the folks who maybe have adopted these insecure attachment styles, this has served a purpose for you. And so not to feel bad, I guess, that this is something that has has been your norm or your go-to. It developed for a reason. Um, and if you're struggling with, okay, but what do I do about that now? We will. I, I think we'll get to that in this conversation about what that means moving forward. Um, but just know that this, this isn't something that you need to beat yourself up about. So, the, the first one of the insecure attachment patterns is ambivalent, or some people also have heard this called anxious ambivalent attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the one that's probably the most um, uncommon because it's a mix of this good and bad. It's really kind of a confusing thing. So when a, these children become very distressed when the parent leaves, yeah. but when the parent comes back, they seem to not care sometimes. They seem to care sometimes. They seem to be upset with the parents sometimes. So, you know, as a result of poor parental availability, mm-hmm. they can't depend, they've learned that they can't depend on their primary caregiver to be there when they need them. Yeah. And so as adult, it kind of creates this, this anxious presentation where they're seeking approval, they're seeking support, um, they're seeking responsiveness from others when they're in relationships with them. And so um, they become almost kind of highly dependent Mm -hmm. (laughs) on people pleasing, right? Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. they're anxious and they're worried that, you know, their loved ones or the people that they're in relationship with are not as invested in the relationship as they are. And so their behavior demonstrates that. Does that make sense? Yeah. And listen, I'm going to tell you, when you lay these out, I'm going to come back and share. I'm going to be transparent and I'm going to share which one of these I have had to work through as an attachment. Okay. All right. Freed up. We get freed up on here. We get freed up and we, we, when we get to bear witness to other people getting freed up, it helps us to be freed up. I totally get that. So come on self-disclosure. Absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Um, the second that I, of the, the insecure styles that I'll mention is the avoidant attachment style. So children um, with this type of attachment tend to avoid parents or caregivers, showing no preference for a caregiver versus a complete stranger. So the parent leaves the room, the parent comes back with somebody the kiddo has never seen. You know, they're not particularly um, invested in seeking out the caregiver over the stranger. It's kind of like eh, anybody <laughs> can kind of uh, meet the need. And a lot of these children are ones who have been punished for relying on the caregiver. Mm. Um, so they avoid, they learn to avoid seeking help in the future. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. if, if I have relied or come to this belief that my parent is going to be there for me and the parent then punishes me, right? Don't, you don't, you don't need to rely on anybody. The only person you need to rely on is yourself. Yep. Right. Yep. And, that, and that message gets internalized. Well, then now I'm a boom, I'm an adult. 
Mm-hmm. I need help, but I don't know how to go about seeking that out because I've been told that I should only rely on me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in in a, as adults or in adult relationships, these people typically have high self-esteem, right? Because they have really worked to only have to rely on themselves. Um, but then what does that mean when a relationship necessitates emotional closeness, yeah. right? What does yeah. that mean when, um, you know, there there are opportunities or situations that do require some emotional sharing for you to be dependent upon someone, for that to be a natural back and forth um, type of relation. They have hard times with that. You know, their tendency is to hide and suppress their feelings. Their, Their tendency is not to be open and vulnerable in those types of ways because they have learned to only depend on themselves. Okay. Yeah. And then the last of these um, insecure attachment styles is the disorganized attachment. Mm-hmm. And these children usually display a confusing mix of behavior. So not only are they not necessarily happy or sad when a caregiver is gone, but they seem kind of dazed and confused, like not almost dissociated, you know, in a sense where people are coming and going and it's just like, they're just kind of there. Um when the parent comes back, they might avoid or resist the the, the parent. Um, but it's really, it's this inconsistent caregiver behavior that then leads to this. I don't know who's to be trusted, who can't be trusted. Um, and so they 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 kind of present as all over the place. Um, the, the, the parents are a source of both comfort and fear, mm-hmm. right? So that's confusing. You can imagine for, for a kiddo. So let's fast forward. As adults, what does that mean? Well, that means that then now their partner or who their friend, their best friend produces both desire and fear. They want to be in, they have the desire to be close and be in this relationship. But then there's also this fear of, I don't know if you're going to always be there. So they want the intimacy and closeness, but at the same time, they experience trouble trusting and depending on others. They don't regulate their emotions well. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a lot to avoid being hurt. And so you you can imagine when someone is really trying hard to buffer themselves from being hurt, how they might present to others, right? People might describe them as closed off. People might, you know, say that they're standoffish or like one day she seems open, the next day she doesn't, you know? And so that it really does look like it sounds disorganized, disorganized Mm -hmm. attachment. So that's all of them in a nutshell, secure, ambivalent, avoidant. And disorganized. Yeah, no, we just got taken to to class here, which is so good because this is the basis in the background. This is kind of like the research and how. Um, and I, what I really appreciate what you shared initially is sometimes we internalize what we're hearing and then create a shame spiral about, hey, this was an experience I had, and I'm carrying that, and or it could also create potential to blame a caregiver. And so um, I just want you to talk a little bit about how do we pull up from that? Like what's a, what, what allows us to come out of that space to where it's like, man, I can't believe my parents did this. And yes, it's all about my parents and what they did. And now, oh my God, as a parent, am I doing this to my own kid? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very good question. And, you know, for one, I don't think judgment or blame gets us anywhere. (laughs) 
So I'll just say that. Um, I also choose to believe that people do the best they can with what they have, right? Like I just choose to stay in that place. That is a conscious decision that I come back to every day. The people are doing the best they can with what they have available to them at the moment. And so ultimately we can't control things that have happened to us. We do get to change and control how we move forward in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do things every day <laughs> that require me to ask God for forgiveness. And mm-hmm. because of the God I serve, I'm granted new mercies every morning. Yeah. And yeah. so if I have a heart for Christ, it requires me to forgive as he has forgive, forgiven me daily. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's what really and truly keeps me from getting stalled in that loop of blame and pity. I also say, or I also believe that God has given us science, medicine, and resources to help us move forward in a way that is freed up, that in yeah. a way that is help, healthy. You know, yeah. faith, forgiveness, and therapy go a long way towards disrupting those painful cycles that you just, you know, kind of talked about. So Amen. Amen. That's, a, that's what I would encourage people to, to really rest and rely on. Yeah, it's, it's so good. And, and the other thing that I think is, important to bring up too is that those earliest experiences with our caregiver certainly do have tremendous impact on how we see the world and how we connect relationally with others. Mm-hmm. There are also some other influences too mm-hmm. because we have other environmental connections and I and I say that because we went to school and we had yep. connections with teachers and we yep. went to church and we had a pastor or a Sunday school teacher. Um, We were a part of a sports team and we had connection with coaches. And so there are other influences as well. And so I want to add that to the conversation for parents and for those of us who are trying to think back now, because I know we've got listeners out there, they're sitting with it now going, wow, they're starting to think, what was my experience like? Mm -hmm. And so I want to make sure that we think about this from a systems perspective, you know, social work. And that there are lots of influences, but our primary influences as it relates relationally come from our caregiver. And right. we are also impacted by other environmental um, in, interactions. I don't know and I like that you that. I like that you pointed that out because the a big so we talk about attachment is kind of like this overarching thing. But the process by which attachment occurs is attunement. Mm-hmm. And so, you know attunement is the action. That's the actual process of tuning in to a child or one's needs and behaviors in order to know how to respond. Yeah. And so, you know, if we're sticking with, you know, when they're, when, when, when we're little, so that's when you're, the caregiver is able to discern the sleepy cry from the hungry cry from the dirty diaper cry, right? The, <laughs> the child, if you can imagine, it's like, oh, this person knows me. This person gets me. They know, you know, uh, it, they, they might check my diaper, but once they see my diaper is clean, they're going to know I'm hungry, you mm-hmm. know? And so they begin to know that their needs can be anticipated. And so ju- I love that you said, let's pull up and bring in the this, this systems perspective because yes, it does start in, in infancy and in early childhood, but we also have, you know, those teachers and those coaches and those mentors and that aunties that ain't aunties by blood, but are aunties by love, right? <laughs> you know, that that see us, that, you know, are, are learn our tales, right? When we're, we're not having the best of day or we, you know, don't se- seem to be showing up like ourselves and they lean into that and say, you know, what's going on? That's attunement. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That's somebody who is paying attention and trying to anticipate what you might need to help you feel better. And so those relationships happen across the lifespan and actually work to heal some of that that you may not have received when you're younger. Yeah, I, you know, it's this is fascinating to me. Um, and I use it so much in the therapeutic process, just like I know you do. But it is a grounding point when you start to think about, OK, what kind of challenges I'm having relationally, relationally with God, relationally with myself, relationally with others. I always come back to, let's think about attachment Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. that's how we drill down right to it. I also want to just make mention to the listeners. There is a a YouTube out called the still face experiment. S T I L L still face. I'll put it into the description box um, for the podcast episode. If you click on that, it's about a three or four minute video, and it's going to demonstrate for you what this attunement and attachment process looks like. So I want you to get the visual. So y'all take the time. Once you finish the episode today, I want you to click over and watch the still face experiment. And you'll be ready for this second episode that we'll have coming up. Um, but definitely watch that. And what I saw when I watched that was not just how attachment happens, Dr. Rose, from this personal connection with the caregiver, but you brought up the situation about race. And one of, I know one of your passions is, as you work with people of color is really bringing in that aspect in for and toward healing. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I thought about when I saw that still face experience, and I think about attachment is how, when we are in our environment, if we are given messages um, whether we're missing something, whether we're we are um, avoided, pushed aside, rejected, um, all of that has impact on how we develop the way that we see the world. Mm-hmm. So it's this interpersonal piece, but then it's also this again back to the systems piece. And so I think that's interesting. I don't know if you want to expand on that a little bit, but every time I look at that still face experience, I think about what if your system, what if your school, what if your church. What if your sports team, what if any system you're in creates that disconnect in some way or perpetuates this insecure attachment? Uh What does that mean? And so I'm curious to hear about your thoughts related to that. Yeah, I mean, I think what I unfortunately is negative, right? Like I think that this does not have a positive impact on someone. So if they are coming from um, a, a a house or a household or a family that did not provide that secure base for them. And then they venture out into the world and they have maybe these doubts that they that have been first planted, these seeds of doubt based on that care, early caregiving experience. Then you have those seeds of doubt confirmed mm-hmm. out in the world. Mm-hmm. So with sports teams, with teachers, with peers, um, particularly, you know, you brought up this race piece, right? Well, we know, that in part in part of elementary school, middle school, those differences really start to become apparent. Um, and kids make comments about it, right? And so I imagine for the person who is having that experience that that chasm gets deeper. Mm-hmm. So they already had these seeds that were sown early that of, of doubt. And that I think that it just gets deeper and almost they get watered, <laughs> right? Um, and if we are not careful, you know, we as the adults in this society that are responsible for nurturing and developing the next generation of folks, we will, if we're not careful, we will 
inadvertently be complicit mm-hmm. in raising hurt individuals that will continue to hurt individuals. Mm. I mean, I just think that that makes our role that much more important. If you are in relationship with children in any shape, form, or fashion, you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to confirm or deny things that they might have received from childhood, from their early caregiving experiences that can change their path, right? And so that that's a big responsibility and it's one that I don't take lightly. And I would encourage your listeners, those that interface with children in any shape, form, or fashion, just to keep that in mind. Yeah, no, I, that that's a call to action that you just gave us mm-hmm. uh, and heartfelt and received because we know that even though these patterns can develop, these attachment styles can develop, and you said this earlier, is that they don't have to stay that way. We They've been a protection to some sense. They were formed with not necessarily our um, agreement. Like we didn't give permission to say, this is the way that I want to have this relationship. And yet we are responsible for making those shifts. The good news is, and this is freed up knows this, we always share the good news, is that change is possible. Our brains have neuroplasticity. We can change. And as we understand and learn first, become self-aware, become reflective and practice that mindfulness, we can um, moving into these these spaces where we have healthier interactions. So we, I mean, we've covered a lot for this. We do. And I have one more thing. Can I add one more thing? For sure. Just because I I know that this, your freed up listeners are a certain kind of folk. They are a kind of folk who yearn for connectedness with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so it really puts on my heart to share this part about, you know, if attunement is not what you receive, you are likely less inclined to trust and have faith Mm -hmm. that your needs will be met. When we are in relationship with God, he has perfect attunement to us. He knows what we need at all times. His provision is unmatched, right? They can't see me lifting my hands, right? (laughs) I am all on this right here. (laughs) But a person's ability to trust and have faith in what God's promises say, it's going to be affected if in this physical realm, they've not had that experience. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I get it. I get that it's hard. It's I get that it's like, well, wait a minute now. Y'all keep talking, spouting off about this good news, but like, I'm really struggling, right? Like I'm really, you know, trying to figure out how to be in a relationship with people. I'm, I really desire to be partnered um, and all these things. And so if you've not received that attunement, it would make sense to me that it would be difficult for you to receive that perfect attunement that is waiting on you. Mm-hmm with the Lord. I'm going to let that be the last word from here because that is the perfect way to wrap is that there is the opportunity to connect to a perfectly attuned God. That is the premise of what we want to communicate on Freed Up. Dr. Rose, you said it so perfectly. I can't wait to expand on this a little bit more in our next episode. So y'all be sure you come back because we got some more to talk about with this particular topic. Oh, good stuff right there. So much to take in. Hey, listen, if you have to go back and listen to this one more time, so much really important information tucked down in just a few moments. 
you'll definitely have to make it back for our second episode when we finish out this conversation and talk about how you can identify your attachment styles and some strategies to move you toward that place where you're building healthier and stronger relationships. And y'all remember, you do not walk this path alone. I am walking right alongside you as well as the rest of the Freed Up friends. And most of all, don't you forget, God loves you. I love you. And make sure you take care of you.